Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is everything you need for tips, tricks, and things to just be generally awesome. I'm your host, Amanda. And I'm your host, Claire. And this is RDH Bites. Hello, everyone. I know last episode we talked about the AAP classification, what it means to have the 1999 classification and 2018 classification in your national board examination. So today I have, well, our co-host Amanda again to talk about this. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you, Claire. So exciting to be recording together. Usually we're talking to other guests. So thank you for having me. It's so smooth when I'm talking to you because we work together. So it's like, bam, 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 the things that we already planned for all of our students. So this is going to be really informative today, guys. If you are listening, maybe you can take some notes because there are a few things we have to go through, right? Yeah. So buckle in. <laughs> We've got some okay, really... So if you're driving or something, please don't be too distracted. This is, you know, you know, it's a podcast with recorders. You can always go back. That's it. Let's just start. What is our topic today? Today, we're talking about 10 things you need to know about the 1999 AAP classifications and then 10 things you need to know about the 2018 AAP classifications, focusing on how are they different. Let's jump right into it. So I'm assuming we're going to start with 1999. Let's do it. I know a lot of our listeners probably weren't around in 1999. <laughs> I know that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I was around. I was. And I was only, well, how much old was I? I mean, I was less than 20 years old. But some of you might be like, well, I was a baby back then. So when you were a baby, scientists around the world gathered to just say, what is the status of paleontology? And classifications are great. It just helps us being organized, make our notes, professionals to talk to each other in a matter that is consistent. And back then, what they have found out, you know, was it's all different, but, you know, science evolved. Yes. So it's just a little different than what you learn right now. But again, if you are taking the short format examination, you might see questions about 1999. So let's jump right into it. What is number one we have to know about the old classification? The most important difference, in my opinion, this is just opinion-based, mm -hmm. the 1999 AAP is not based on the worst area. So when I say that, I mean it is diagnosed and described based on whether it is generalized or localized. And that includes involvement of 30% of sites. So, for example, if a patient has two millimeters of clinical attachment loss on only three out of the 28 teeth in the mouse, that would be considered localized periodontitis. And we would therefore give them a localized case type, not a generalized case type. I see. So what you're saying is that now even there's, well, at least we need a few teeth together that are affected. If that's the case, we kind of generalized what they have. Right. So per the 2018 system, we're treating the mouth as a whole based on the most involved area. But that's a very new attitude towards periodontal treatment. In the 99 system, we usually had a generalized AAP case type and a localized AAP case type. 
So we didn't look at the mouth as a whole. We were splitting it up. It is just a change of attitude. It's a matter of thinking, are we going to split it up and we can just be like this area? No, now we're like, well, you have this whole condition. We're not going to be like, we're just right over here. Exactly. And I, I do support that because it's the overall health. Yes. <laughs> we're finally recognizing, mm-hmm. you know, in the medical and dental world that these things influence each other greatly. So, yeah. When we treat periodontitis now in the 2018 system, we look at the mouth as a whole. And I like to ask the question, if a patient had cancer in one area of the body and they have chemotherapy for treatment, we're treating the entire body, right? We're not focusing. Thank you. Thank you. We're not focusing on just that one area of cancer. We have to rid the entire body of cancer. So much the same in the 2018, we need to rid the entire mouth of inflammation rather than focusing on one spot. Okay. That said, going back to 1999, if you are in your examination, you might see those words generalized versus localized and being able to say, okay, well, in this area and being focused on that. Right. Okay. Thank you. What else do we have to know about this old classification? The old classification makes me feel old saying it that way. Okay. So the 99 system includes health. So we mentioned case type. The 1999 AAP classification system is based upon case type. So health in the 99 system Gingival and periodontal health is described as an AAP case type zero. This indicates that the patient has no attachment loss and no gingival inflammation present generally at the time of the appointment. Mm-hmm. So that's health. Health, yes. And then gingivitis, what would that be that case type? Great question. Okay, the 99 system also has a case type for gingivitis. That is an AAP case type 1. And on your board, students, this is what we would see as a patient who we know has an intact periodontium, so no clinical attachment loss or at least no generalized clinical attachment loss with generalized gingival inflammation. So gingivitis is an AAP case type one. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. That's really important to know. So keyword here, case type. Case type, exactly. Awesome. Well, there are a few more things to talk about. Let's do it. Should we talk about chronic versus aggressive? Yes. So when we're using the quote unquote old system, we have to differentiate between chronic and aggressive periodontitis. Chronic periodontitis is the most common form of periodontitis in the 1999 system. And I call this run of the mill perio. So chronic periodontitis is slowly progressing. It's marked by periods of remission and exacerbation. And that process, as we know, is dependent upon the patient and their host response to periodontal pathogens. So the number one periodontal pathogen involved in chronic periodontitis per the 1999 system is P. gingivalis. I like to call that Mr. Perio, P. gingivalis. So chronic is still described as localized or generalized like we talked about earlier. Okay, so chronic, I get that concept. And if you study with the old classification, you will see this word all the time. However, what we're saying is that that word does not longer exist, right? In the new classification. Right. We 
don't use chronic and aggressive anymore in the 2018 classification. So mm-hmm. if you're taking the short form examination, like we talked about in the last episode, you do have to know the difference between chronic periodontitis, which we know today as periodontitis, mm-hmm. aggressive periodontitis. Can you tell us more about aggressive? Yeah, for sure. So aggressive perio, this differs from chronic in a few ways, but the most important way it differs is that aggressive periodontitis progresses much more rapidly through the periodontia. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Patients see a lot of bone loss in a little bit of time. So we also might have to prescribe systemic antibiotics to help with the specific aggressive periodontitis process. So the number one bacteria involved in aggressive, that's AA. We're not going to try to pronounce that. Yeah, right? I'm yeah. not going to make a fool of myself. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. AA. So just think A for aggressive. That's your wake up memory. A for aggressive. And yeah. Thank you. And the pattern of this is kind of significant, right? When we try to detect, oh, this is aggressive periodontitis. Yes. This is a different pattern completely when we discuss localized versus generalized. So in aggressive periodontitis, there are two things to remember. One, this will always involve the permanent first molars and the permanent incisors. So we're talking about permanent dentition here. Now, if it is localized aggressive periodontitis, there will only be two teeth outside the permanent first molars and incisors. If there are three or more teeth involved, then we have generalized or uh, generalized aggressive perio. So that's the permanent first molars, the permanent incisors, and three or more other teeth outside of those. Great, great. So just to recap, I know because this we talked a whole lot about many different things within like the past two minutes. Right. <laughs> but there's something called aggressive periodontitis. Again, that does not exist anymore as a terminology, but we're just doing a review for our students who might see this because they're taking an exam really, really soon. And most importantly, I think it, in knowing that those keywords would be molar and then incisor yes. when it is aggressive. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So now we know this. Mm-hmm. <sighs> there are more things to know about 1999. Yes, of course. There's always more, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say, yes. you know, everything we've covered so far, chronic and aggressive periodontitis would be assigned a case type based on the localized or generalized, how much attachment have we lost? We can still assign a case type either way. And now we're moving into a different type of periodontitis. And this is what we know as an AAP case type 5. And the key word here is refractory periodontitis. Refractory periodontitis. So... This is a continuous process. Remember, chronic periodontitis has phases where it's active and inactive. Refractory periodontitis does not stop. It's not responding to appropriate treatment. So an example here, if you have a patient 
We've completed non-surgical periodontal therapy and they return after four to six weeks for their reevaluation and their disease is still progressing. This would be described as refractory periodontitis. And yeah, yeah, it's very discouraging for patients. I thankfully have only seen one patient like this in my entire career, but. Yeah, no, I call it the frustrating Periodontitis, mm-hmm. because the word refractory is a, is a big word. Right? Like, what what does that refractory mean? So mm-hmm. I kind of think about it, and I'm like, it sounds like frustrating in a way. That's so I call it the frustrating periodontitis, <laughs> frustrating one. So you did everything you could, you know, treatment. The patient comes back, you know, like so much, and the patient also tried their best too. Right. It's not like they've been sitting without any treatment. Right. Didn't try their best at home. And then you have to think, well, there's something underneath that, right? If you're still trying to treat it and it's still not going well, there's a bigger problem here. Absolutely. There's a problem probably involving the immune system or a systemic connection. And, you know, with refractory, the the textbooks used to call these downhill patients. That is a direct quote from a textbook. I would never, ever say that to a patient, but that just, you know, yeah, that gives you a good picture in your mind's eye. This doesn't give up. It's just not responding. So I want to mention, too, this is different from recurrent perio. Mm, Good point. Yeah. In recurrent periodontitis, we have successfully treated the patient, arrested disease, and then we have more later on. So the major difference here is we were able to arrest the disease in recurrent processes, but in refractory, it just kept on marching through the periodontium. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clarifying that because those terms, in a way, could be confusing because it sounds similar. They do. Yeah, yeah. I want you to just, when you hear refractory, be like, if, like, if, for, like, frustrating. <laughs> and then, um, you know, recurring is like, that's recurring, just like the word says. Like, oh, it's back because the patient didn't come yeah. in or the patient slacked on home care. We have a reason for recurrent processes, whereas refractory, there's really no good reason present. We have to dig a little bit more. Wonderful. Good point. Good point. Now, oh, there's so much to talk about. Yes. But let's move it along. What about this term, slight, moderate, and severe? Great question. So per the 1999, we can use the descriptors slight, moderate, and severe or advanced. Sometimes you'll see it as severe or advanced. And these correspond to the amount of attachment loss the patient is experiencing. So one to two millimeters of attachment loss is an AAP case type two. And that indicates slight periodontitis, which you and I know there's not a little bit of periodontitis, right? It's a case of periodontitis, but it used to be described as slight perio. Now, three to four millimeters of clinical attachment loss indicates an AAP case type three, and that is described as moderate periodontitis. Lastly, five or more millimeters of clinical attachment loss is known as an AAP case type four, which is advanced or severe periodontitis. And these basically describe 
the extent of bone loss that we can see for that patient. Is it slight bone loss, moderate bone loss, severe bone loss? What are we seeing, you know, using all of our information? Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks for clarifying that. Because those terms are changing. That's why we're mentioning those to you. Right. And I know a lot of schools haven't used the 1999 because we all thought we were switching, you know, and we switched right away. So students would be ready to work in practice. But now the 1999 is peeking its head around the corner again. Well, you know, it's, it's, I mean, if you still are not, you, you don't have to actually learn this because your school is not testing you on this and you're not going to see this in your national board examination because you're taking the test later this year or next year. It's still, you know, important to know this because your doctor might talk in those terms. Because, you know, they went to school back in the days. Your other hygienist you work with might say, oh, the patient has moderate perio or advanced perio. And you still need to know what that means, even because, you know, the language or the new language sounds different and what you will tell them might not resonate with what they know in their knowledge. So, you know what? I know this is a difficult thing to, to say, okay, I need to know the old and new one, but you're doing a great thing. You absolutely are. And the AAP has guides available on their website that you can download that'll help you compare the old way and the new way so that you can talk to everyone in your office. You might be the first person bringing this information into your office. So it is important to have at least a base knowledge of the 1999. Great. And that's that if a student is going to the examination and because right now it's a mixed bag of whatever they can ask in, in periodontology is how are they going to know if they're talking about the 1999 or 2018 classification? Thank you so much for asking this question because I get this every single day from students. How do I know which classification system they're asking about? And it is an amazing question. That's that critical thinking coming in. Y'all are applying that critical thinking. So first and foremost, remember the board has stated that the short form exam will cover the 1999 while the standard form will cover the 2018. And if you listen to our previous episode, part one, you will know which one you're taking. Secondly, the way the question is asked can provide major hints. For example, which of the following case types best describes this patient's periodontal status? Those keywords, case type, that is talking about the 1999 system. Right. So th those are some of the things that can help you. Those are your clues to see, okay, which mode do I have to be? The old mode or the new right. mode? And then you can go down that route. So let's just try one example here is if I say, which of the following case types best describe this patient's periodontal status? And if I say staging and grading, mm -hmm. then you know where we're not talking about the 1999. We're talking about the 2018. I call it 2018. Amanda calls it 2017. It's either we one. We talked about it last time. <laughs> it's interchangeable. Same thing. Same thing. <laughs> it's because they gathered in 2017 and they released this in 2018. So that's the difference. Yes. <laughs> Great. Okay. Yeah. So if the question asks, which of the following stage and grade combinations best describes this patient's periodontal status, your keywords will be stage and grade, which tells you they're talking about the 2018 system. Awesome. 
So now it's time to switch gears. We talked about the old one. Now let's talk about the new one. But before we do that, I wanted to give a little bit of background information about how this all happened. First, science has evolved. I mean, can you imagine the amount of science that's been discovered between 1999 and 2017? A whole lot. So the theories have had to change, our assumptions, everything. The model had to change. Just like, for example, remember in the beginning of the pandemic, mask was not a thing. It was like in the beginning, they're like, no, we don't really need that. Even CDC, Dr. Fauci was saying, no, we don't need that. And then later said, yes, you need that. It's not because it's a hypocrite. It's because science have been able to say, well, this disease is transmittable through aerosol. And a mask is protecting Everybody, in the beginning, they didn't really understand how this was spreading. So just like that, science has evolved, and it's not that 1999 people were ignored. No, it's just because we always do the best with the information we have right now. And the assumption was this, parentitis starts with bacterial plaque, and then there's calculus formation, and then you get a pocket, you get more bacteria, and then you get bone loss. So that was kind of just a very linear model saying, okay, plaque, plaque. Then that's why we're like, you know, floss, floss, floss. And what they didn't take into account enough back then, again, not anybody's fault. It's just because we didn't know the connection between our overall health, things that are genetic as well, the environmental factors that are happening, all of those now we understand play an important part in our mouth, in our oral health. And that includes, well, are you going to get more bleeding? Are you more susceptible or at risk to have more bone damage? So now you have to understand that this is kind of a 3D model, not a linear model anymore, because we found lots of scientific facts. Science is still evolving. So this will change again at some point in our life. And I just wanted to share how this current model, you have to really think about this as a 3D thing in your head, not something that's like simple, one directional. It's like multiple arrows going in multiple direction. So that is just the background story. And we're going to try to summarize what are the most important things to know in 2018. Okay, so... Y'all know periodontology is one of my favorite subjects. I could talk about this for days, but I'm going to do my best to keep it brief here. <laughs> okay, so like we said earlier, in the new system, I'm going to call it new instead of 2017 or 2018, the new system, the most updated. We use the terms staging and grading. And staging is our description of severity of periodontal disease. Whereas grading is our description of the rate of progression. So we know every single patient based on their host response and their immune system has a different response to periodontitis. Therefore, we developed a staging and grading system that fits more patients than the previous case type. So inflammation we know is huge. It plays a huge role in tissue destruction and periodontitis. So we took that information and I say we like I was there. I wasn't there, but <laughs> the AAP <laughs> took the information and developed staging and grading based on severity and progression. So let's talk about... Can I actually sure. say, I'm sorry, is actually, I know one person who was in that committee. Yes. His name is Dr. Alp Cantucci. 
He's a professor at Boston University in periodontology. He's a periodontist. And actually, uh, right after dental hygiene school, I did some research and I actually literally started to volunteer myself because I'm like, I have time on my hands. I would like to do something productive with my life. And I want to know what dental research is. So I did some research at the Foresight Institute. I really knocked on the door saying I would love to volunteer. And I knew uh, Dr. Alp from other relations, other connections, but there he was, and he was also involved in recreating this new classification. So, so cool. So we do, yeah, we know people, yeah. and I think that's why we say we, <laughs> because we really relate, you know, this is exciting stuff. We, we, we want to be on the mm-hmm. forefront of all of this. So yes, yeah. <laughs> the collective we here is yes. what I'm using. Okay. <laughs> so how do we assign a stage? Earlier in 1999, we talked about, you know, generalized and localized, but staging goes according to the most involved site of the mouth because we're treating the mouth as a whole. We shouldn't treat one tooth differently than we treat all of the other teeth. The periodontium is a unit. So if a patient has a four millimeter pocket with active bleeding and they also have three millimeters of recession, we would give that patient a stage two. And, you know, we stage patients with active periodontitis. So that's where the active bleeding came in. The patient receives a stage two at that point. Now, yeah. And I'd like to think staging as like, just the word, like the state of it. Like, what is the state? What is what has already happened, basically? Right. Where is We're it? We're not today? trying to predict the future. Right. Yeah. What is what is it today? Well, they have, let's say, three to four millimeter of cal loss, attachment mm-hmm. loss, and they have radiographic bone loss. What does it look like right now? What is the stage of bone loss? So basically, we're just looking at now. Let's just collect data, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Based on our assessment data, where are they at today? Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So remember that in the 99 system, we included health and gingivitis. So we had a zero and a one as health and gingivitis respectively. But now gingivitis is not included. That stage describes periodontitis. So we jump right to stage one in periodontitis. So this is what I was confused when I first saw this. I just wanted to mention that is, again, just like Amanda said, gingivitis is not in staging and grading, okay? It's only when there's destruction, bone destruction happening, loss, attachment loss happening that you say it is periodontitis and you give it a stage and a grade. Right. Based on the direct evidence, there's a couple different things that we can base this off of, but at its most basic level, 2018 AAP goes by the amount of clinical attachment loss and radiographic bone loss. We're going to focus on that. Okay, great. You know, we are really abbreviating though, guys, Yeah. <laughs> in this podcast, because there's a, a million things yes. you have to know. And for staging and grading, Amanda, what I would love to do is kind of give those major hints. Say, let's say if it's like, let's, if there's furcation, for example, mm-hmm. It immediately goes to what stage? So stage first, there's one through four. One, two, three, four. Right. And I just want to see if there are like some immediate 
hints. For example, right now I just talked about if there is furcation, we go jump to three. Right. There's no one and two, okay? See that word in case studies? You know, we're at three already. Right. So I think you're asking... Are there some other things? Yeah, like what are the automatic staging criteria? Is that what you're getting mm-hmm. to? Yeah. Okay, yes. perfect. So let's talk about there are three major automatic criteria. Are there more? Yes, but let's talk about the three most important that you can apply to case studies in your board exam. So vertical bone loss. Now, I want to remind everybody, vertical bone loss is detected by finding the CEJ to CEJ relationship of adjacent teeth and whether or not the alveolar crest is parallel to that relationship. If it is no longer parallel, we have vertical bone loss. If we have vertical bone loss at three millimeters or more, we're automatically at a stage three. Stage three. Great tip. Okay. So you see that vertical, we are fast forwarding stage three. Yes. What else? Let's talk again about furcation classification. If a patient has a furcation class two, so a quick reminder, furcation class one is that we can feel the furcation, but we cannot enter the furcation with the probe. A class two, we can feel the furcation and enter into the furcation. That's an automatic stage three. And I want you to think, how much attachment loss does a patient have to experience before we can enter into a furca? Probably about, you know, four to five millimeters, depending on the tooth. So, of course, that's going to be an automatic stage three. And then last but not least, less than 20 teeth or 10 opposing pairs of teeth lost due to periodontitis is an automatic stage four. I want you to think about the function of a patient who has less than 10 opposing pairs of teeth. What are the chances we're going to be able to restore that periodontum? Slim. So they're automatically a stage four. Great question. And also, as you said, they lost it due to periodontitis. Okay, we're not talking about they lost it because... I almost lost my front tooth because I hit a rock literally mm. surfing. Mm. Uh, that, you know. So for example, that that would not be a case right. when you're like, she had periodontitis right. you know, and lost tooth. And that's a great point, Claire. You know, if a, a patient has lost five or more teeth due to periodontitis, that's the deciding factor between a stage three and a stage four. A lot of times we're not going to be told directly they lost these teeth due to periodontitis. So that's where we need to use our clues. What's their caries risk? How many other restorations do they have in the mouth? Is there endo involvement, right? Were they likely to have lost that tooth due to trauma or decay or periodontitis? So we just need to use those context clues at that point. And sometimes we don't because they've never been a patient with us forever because they're new. You know, we don't have a history sometimes. So we do our best, but ask as many questions as possible. That said, what should we talk about now? Grading or am I jumping right now? We talked about what counts, what's automatic. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Mm -hmm. what doesn't count when we are assigning a stage to a patient. There are more things here that don't count, right? So recession of traumatic origin. 
I want to point your attention to the fact that the 2018 AAP criteria for clinical attachment loss talks about interdental loss. We are not talking about facial or lingual at this point. We're talking about interdental. And the rationale behind that is that most patients have facial recession from a traumatic origin, whether that's abrasion, toothbrush abrasion, abfraction from traumatic occlusion. It could be frenal pull that they're experiencing causing that recession there. So these are not true periodontitis processes. Therefore, they don't count towards staging. Also caries. I mean, you know, in the beginning, I was confused. Caries is a very different thing, guys. Having carious lesions versus periodontitis. I know it's all destructive in the mouth, but the origins are very, very different. Definitely. definitely. Therefore, caries, like, you know, I lost a tooth, very, very honest, because of caries. Don't judge me. It's back in the days when I didn't know anything. No judgment and from I us. Have no judgment. <laughs> I know. No judgment. <laughs> and that is not what would count again into the staging. Right. Because, you know, with carious lesions, especially class five, again, we're not talking about an interdental space. And a class five carious lesion, in order to achieve, you know, an adequate margin, we will most likely have to deflect the tissue or remove some soft tissue. So we would not count that towards staging. Other things that we don't see as commonly, you know, endodontic lesions or vertical root fractures. But the one I want you to focus on here, clinical attachment loss on the distal of the second molars due to the wisdom teeth. So I know many of us have had our wisdom teeth removed or know that we have to have them removed soon. The impacted wisdom tooth will affect the bone level on the distal of the second molar. However, once those are extracted, our body is healing. So we can't count that toward a stage. Okay, that's a really good point because we're like, oh, you know, here... It looks like there's loss or or, um, pockets attached. You know, it's like alert. Yeah. How many times have you gotten a nine millimeter pocket on the distal of 31? And it's because 32 is impacted, you know, creating this huge defect that once 32 is removed, we'll be fine. Everything will be fine again. And for our Canadian friends, that's the last two. So the numbering system, as you know, is different. Right. Universal versus international. So those would be your... Eight, you know, the, the very, very back ones. That said, is it time for grading now? Yes. Are we going to grade? Let's talk about patients? grading. This is more fun, in my opinion, <laughs> assigning a grade. <laughs> uh-huh. So grading is more fluent, right? We can change a grade from appointment to appointment. It moves up and down the scale a lot easier than staging. And there are many different aspects that we can look at, but There are some that are really, really important. And when we consider direct evidence of progression, like we said earlier, a lot of times we don't have five years worth of radiographs for a patient or five years worth of records. So we can go by other things such as the percent of radiographic bone loss divided by the patient's age. And I can already hear everybody protesting. That's math. I have to do math to do that, right? (laughs) But I will be the first to tell you, I am not a mathematician. There is an easy way to look at this. And even without a calculator, it's pretty easy. So when we assigned a stage, we were looking at radiographic bone loss 
whether it's in the coronal third, the middle third, or the apical third of a tooth. So we've already assessed what the percentage bone loss was on the radiograph. Now, let's say we are into the middle third, so we're at at least a stage three. That's at least 33% bone loss. So that's 33 to 66% bone loss. Let's say that our patient is 35 years old. So we're going to write 33 over 35. If, you know, that percent RBL is pretty close to one, but it's not over one, we're automatically going to be a grade B. We always start at B and look for evidence to go up or down from B. So don't let the math get to you. That's a great way to do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Don't Mm -hmm. let the math get to you. Mm -hmm. Just determine, is it greater than one or not? And most likely a grade B unless they have some other process going on. Right. So I just wanted to backtrack for a second saying like grading. I mean, that when we're looking at grading, we're looking at a little bit more of the future, right? What is it going to be? Like, what is the rate of progression? What are we going to do as a therapy? So I just wanted to make that clear cut here. Like staging is like kind of providing data about, okay, what's in it right now? Like what's going on? Grading is trying to understand what do we have to do? What does the patient have to do? What will look like in the future if we do not take care of it or the patient doesn't take care of it? And kind of combining a few more things in there, such as, well, the patient A1C level, which is uh, related to diabetes. So there's a little bit more uh, different factors. And the context, I want to say that I mean, I mentioned bone loss versus age is, again, we're trying to give a little bit of prediction of saying, if that patient lost this much at this age, ooh, not a great sign. Therefore, we need to do this. Therefore, it's going to look like this in the future because it's already really bad. Right. So I just wanted to provide that whole context. So I'm done. I, no, I totally agree. And <laughs> what you, everything you just described goes into our prognosis for the patient. What is this patient's prognosis based on their rate of progression of disease? How quickly is this moving through their periodontium? That is going to help us determine their prognosis, their treatment plan, a lot of different things. So yes, rate of progression, when we talk about grading, is completely different from severity of disease, right? It's what do we need to do to slow down this progression? Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. And I want to touch on something you said there, diabetes and smoking. These are the automatic grading criteria, but I want you to be careful because if you think the patient smokes nine cigarettes a day, they're a grade B or the patient has an HbA1c of 6.9, they're automatic grade B. I still want you to check that percent radiographic bone loss over the age because they could be a C depending on that bone loss rather than the fact that they're a smoker or have diabetes. All right, great. So, yeah, when we're looking at grading, yeah, we start in the middle, right in the B and say, you know, what are evidence? We're going to ask them, how much do you smoke? What do you have diabetes? If so, what is your level above seven or below seven? But also we are going to look at the radiograph bone loss, not just the bone loss, but we're going to look at their age. Kind of do it. Don't worry. It's not math. It's, it's, it's right. quick. It's like <laughs> one, under one is A or B. Case 
phenotype, though, can we talk about this? Because that's the other criteria we have to understand in order to grade a patient. Definitely. So case phenotype, this involves how much plaque biofilm a patient has. And we know plaque biofilm is the major etiology in periodontal disease, right? So sometimes we have those patients who have a ton of plaque and they barely have gingivitis, right? So that tells us their immune system or their host response is handling that bacterial challenge. Mm -hmm. Then we have patients who have a little bit of plaque biofilm and lots and lots of destruction in their mouth. And that is their phenotype. So grade B usually is when a patient has plaque biofilm and they have destruction that we would expect to see. The, the AAP uses the word commensurate. All that means is that based on the amount of plaque biofilm in their mouth, they have a corresponding amount of destruction. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Okay. You said it nicely. That word, yeah, it's always commensurate, like, what the hell? Yeah. commensurate. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it means like, it, is it kind of what you expected or not, basically? Right. Right. And if the destruction is more than what you expected in the biofilm, because you can have very little biofilm, you're like, what the, what has happened here? That means you can think about the future, right? The progression, the rate of progression is going to be great. Our therapy might change because of that. Right. And the patient also needs to be educated on this as well. So yes. they just wanted to understand because you know, we talked about the case type that you talked about earlier in the 1999, the old classification. Just wanted to mention that name because it sounds similar, right? Yes, absolutely. But we're not talking about a case type. We're talking about a case phenotype. Phenotype. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The phenotype. How much plaque does yes. the patient have? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So now we've talked really about staging, about grading, what counts, what doesn't count. I want to talk a little bit about why. Why did we go to this new classification criteria? And as Claire mentioned at the top of this segment for the 2018 classification system, we now have an international scale to diagnose periodontal disease. It's very standardized and it allows for us to track the progression and response to treatment. Another important part is that we have our introduction to peri-implant diseases and conditions. Implants are becoming much more common today than they were in 1999. So we needed some sort of system to be able to track that. The last few things I want to talk about patients. If your patient is diagnosed or someone they know is diagnosed with cancer, how do we describe the severity of the cancer. We say it's a stage one, a stage two, a stage three, or a stage four. Most people know someone who's been afflicted by cancer. If we use those terms, it's a lot more relatable for the patient. So we've included medical terminology here. It's much easier for the patient to comprehend saying you have stage three periodontitis rather than say you have an AAP case type four periodontitis. And that means that means nothing to the patient, right? <laughs> That's just blah, blah, blah. That's all they're hearing. So yes. 
you know, no, it's a good job team. Yes. 2017 team. Yes. It's beautiful <laughs> because patients understand this much easier. And, you know, lastly, the old classifications weren't working for about a quarter of the cases of periodontitis. There's something wrong there. When you think about the fact that about 50 million Americans have perio, that's a lot of people that we're not describing their actual disease. So, you know, we've got a lot of different things that we can talk about, but I kind of want to finish up with the most significant difference in diagnosing what type of periodontitis a patient has is that we no longer use those terms chronic and aggressive. We still have necrotizing diseases, and we didn't even touch on that today. That's a whole other discussion. But chronic and aggressive is no longer recognized. So the fact that we're diagnosing based on the the worst area or the most involved area, we no longer have generalized or localized chronic periodontitis. It is periodontitis. The patient has periodontitis. Now, I do want to say there's a little caveat to that. We can still describe periodontitis as having a molar incisor pattern. So that's how we differentiate that the patient may need different treatment based on the fact that it's the molar incisor pattern. We know that's a more aggressive process in nature, and we might start out with systemic antibiotics, unlike we would for most perio processes. That's a really good point. Because I know being on the 1999, you know, those terms, you might not see them anymore, but molar incisor, you will still see them. And it's not like local and generalized have disappeared either. Those right. terms still exist, okay? I just want to yeah. <laughs> clarify that because I know we're talked about things that have disappeared. Those terminology will always, well, not always, but they're still there and means the same thing. Less than 30% is localized. Above that is generalized. Right. We're kind of just using those as secondary descriptors as professional to professional that the patient has a generalized or localized process. And that has to do with CDT codes, what kind of treatment we're going to do. But it does not change the fact that the patient has periodontitis and we will treat their mouth as a whole. Okay, great. Any last thing we need to add here? You know, I think we've very, very long conversation. (laughs) We've covered quite a lot. This is our longest podcast yet. So if you have stuck it out this far, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of information being covered here. Mm -hmm. And Mm-hmm. I do want to let you know, this is included at Student RDH. If you're a faculty member, we have an AAP mastery course for faculty. And last but not least, this is available on the American Academy of Periodontology's website for download. So I highly recommend you download these, laminate them, and use them in practice so that you can you know, get used to implementing the 2018 AAP. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Amanda. It was just a wonderful summary. Again, though, guys, this is a summary. Yes. And we did our best, but there's a lot to know. And there's a lot of practice to do when you see a case, you know, you see images and you see patient profile and all this and that. And you have to conceptualize in your head saying, I'm seeing this, this evidence, this evidence, because as you said, it's this, it's not a linear process anymore. So you have to grab all your ingredients and then think, okay, how much is there furcation, for example, in the radiograph? Where, where is the worst spot? But, you know, you exclude, for example, the distal surface of the second molar, if there's a third molar. So you do all that process, you're like stage 
stage this, stage three, for example, but then that's not the story. Grading, saying, okay, what, what does it look like? What is, does the future look like for the patient? And you give them a grade and A is the best, just like we do at school, right? C is the worst here in this case. But then the patient, you know, will need to work towards a goal as well with you together. And it is in our best interest to help them understand as much as possible what we're talking about. Because if we just tell our patients, you have grade, uh, whatever, grade B or C, it doesn't mean anything. Right. So we have to tell them, really, try to describe this in in plain English as well. That said, anyhow, we are going to wrap up this very long session. I hope it was useful, but you have this as a recording. So please do it again, again, and again, if you need to. Yeah, listen as many times as it takes. And I, you know, I want to follow up, Claire. We didn't cover every single possibility for the AAP. We hit this really fast and furious. You know, we could, like I said, I could go for days talking about this. So Mm, do a lot of your research. We practice evidence-based care and we have to have the research to back that up. And that's why we are implementing this. So by all means, do your research. I highly encourage that. And, <laughs> There's a lot more. This yeah. is like a tiny fraction. Tip There's of the iceberg. health. You know, there there is necrotizing, like Amanda said. There's yes. like implants. We got a whole lot. But if you know staging and grading really well, I really bet on your examination, whether it's a Canadian U.S. examination, you're going to do really well. Yes. I agree. Wow. Thank y'all for listening today. And yeah. Claire, thank you for your patience with me explaining all of these things. And we will see oh everybody God. next time. Oh, so glad we did this. This was really, really awesome. Thank you, Amanda. And everybody, have a great day. Bye. Hey, everybody. This is your co-host, Amanda, with a quick announcement. Have you looked at our VIP package yet? This has everything you need to help pass your national board exam. Whether you live in the United States, Canada, or really anywhere, our VIP package has something for everybody. We have recorded lectures, live lectures, curated and calibrated content made just for you to help you pass. Visit us today at studentrdh.com to sign up and for more information. See you next time.